Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. There comes a point where you have to write something which you have not written before, and which your interest in any particular topic or, or subject will inspire you. And that's why, I suppose, eventually, most lyricists do approach wider topics than, than sex and love, you know? George Michael released his debut album, Faith, in 1987 after six years in the pop group, Wham. It was a level of success that few attain at the age of 24, but some are unfortunate enough to experience. It was still rare at this time for international artists to reach such popularity in the United States. George struggled enough with the tabloids in his own country. To throw in the out-of-control fanaticism of his American fans at him, it became too much to handle. This changed the course of his career. The decisions that were made were influenced by the infestation of unimaginable fame that led to some of the highest class pop music ever recorded. Any other artist would have capitalised. George, however, revolted. To distance himself from faith and establish a new level of artistry beyond it is where our story begins. The Faith World Tour ended in October of 1988, and so too did George's love of the spotlight. Instead of writing, composing, and promoting for mass appeal, he began to write with more complexity, compose with more sophistication, and promote, well, nothing. Commencing the writing sessions for his new project, Something to Save was the earliest song to make the album. Its sound and general theme would set the overall feel for what would become Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1. If you've got something to say, why don't you say it? I do believe now that I'm a lot better singer than I ever thought I would be, but at the end of the day, I, I want to leave something as a writer. To have a passion or to have something that drives you on through life um, in a creative sense, most of us want to leave something, want to have something that will be remembered. And I want to leave songs, I believe I can leave songs that, that will be will mean something to other generations. If you've got something to say, why don't you say it? If you've got something to give, why don't you give it to me? Day after day I have to say it. If we've got something to say, why don't we say it? That's not to say he wasn't coming up with songs that were more familiar with where he went on faith. While it wouldn't be appropriate for the album, Fantasy did become one of its singles B-sides and one of Michael's best dance tracks. Simplistic and repetitive, but not at all tiring. Its funky rhythms and catchy horns didn't overstay their welcome. It was clearly a favourite of George's, as he would remix it for a compilation nine years later. It's 
remix it with Nile Rodgers for the 25th anniversary edition of Listen Without Prejudice after that. It was also around this time when George would revisit a song that was recorded during the Faith Sessions. George Michael doesn't have a large vault of unreleased tracks. He was self-admittedly very unprolific. Now, in terms of just how much unreleased material there actually is accumulated throughout his 30-year career, I'll let you speculate. Love was originally recorded in 1986, before being given to Elton John that same year. Don't have to be so scared. Don't have to hide that you care. Just have to believe in this kind of love. In 1988, George re-recorded it. He would do this again around 2012 for an album that was completed but never released. It was recorded as a solo but originally intended to be a duet with Amy Winehouse, whom had passed away a week before their scheduled session. Despite not making it to any project at the time, it would be an indicator of a couple of the upcoming songs which would paint a similar soundscape in their productions, like The Next, worked on in March 1989. I know that Cowboys and Angels is one of people's favourites. It's about a strange love triangle involving a woman who was madly in love with me and a man who I was madly in love with. This is a prime example of the complex songwriting and sophisticated compositions he was capable of, utilising real orchestrations and a runtime of over seven minutes. Cowboys and Angels is one of the earliest displays of more cinematic-like sound in his work. It was such a departure from Wham! and Faith. Michael's concern for his own artistic development meant more than some kind of pop devotion to his fans.
reflecting on his career today, it was worth it. Three months later, George was finally able to articulate where he had been and where he was going, in and on his own terms. Oh, His own declaration, a compromise with his record company that would eventually turn into a middle finger. It was undoubtedly his most directly autobiographical song he would put out at the time, which would also become one of his most recognisable. Continuing with a more reflective approach to his songwriting, in October, he penned the lyrics to Praying for Time. The open hand, to me, represents um, the vast numbers of people who are actually on the poverty line or below the poverty line, which is something that's going to go on. And I like the idea of beggars and the choosers because you take a phrase, beggars can't be choosers, and you completely change it. In other words, the beggars and the choosers and nothing in between, which was really my point because it does seem to be not that much in between these days. That verse is really about the fact that the hungry men of today are completely, I mean, there is a full knowledge of them. People know what's going on, not well, in this country and abroad, and the legitimate excuse of yesterday was, was that ignorance, and that's gone, obviously. So in other words, the hungry man today is, is, is a well-known fact. I've always um, liked the term somehow, God's children, somehow as though um, we were that innocent in a way. 
the idea being that we ran out on God in a sense, you know, to, um, crept out the back door. And because of that, um, we're, we're left to make our own decisions. We'll take our chances because God stopped keeping score is like saying there is no one here to pull back the reins, so we have to make our own decisions. George loved Stevie Wonder. Having covered a significant amount of his songs during his career, for Listen Without Prejudice, he did his first studio recording with They Won't Go When I Go. In over various sets, I've done like four or five Stevie Wonder covers, and, and uh, apart from the fact that I consider him to be an incredible writer, but the key he was writing for at that time is perfectly suited to my voice. And somehow I managed to really get something out of his songs live. Let's have a listen to some of the lead vocal sessions, which took place on the 24th of January, 1990. No more lying friends, morning tragic ends, though they do pretend they won't go when I go. What's truly amazing is that this cover doesn't really add anything different from the original but does have a certain quality to it that makes it stand out. All those bleeding hearts with sorrows to impart were right here from the start and they won't go when I go and I'll go More than anything else, it's a vocal and emotive exercise for George. To go so long There isn't any significant deviation between the different vocal takes, however there is slight improvement with each one and they definitely serve as a warm-up for what would appear on the album. Gone from painful cries, away from saddened eyes, along with him I'll abide, and they won't go when I go. Big men standing tall, weak ones feeling small. I will watch them fall, and they won't go when I go. And I'll go where I've longed to go so long away from tears. Eventually, vocal flourishes similar to the Stevie Wonder original were recorded, adding a further haunting textures to an already haunting instrumental. Oh, since my soul comes. 
month of March, George would begin to construct one of his most interesting productions. This particular song, which is called uh, Waiting for That Day, wasn't the normal writing process because I had the idea for the mood as opposed to a song. I was with some friends and I was complaining about the fact that something like five or six of the uh, records in the top 30 um, were based around a sample of a drum track, which was the intro to a James Brown song called Funky Drummer. And I had this idea of oh, taking that particular drum track and placing something completely different over the top of it. And that is actually the, the, the sample of the James Brown record, but it's slowed down. It's been slowed down for a number of other records. And then I thought I'd put something completely, completely folk over the top of it. This is the guitar line. Which obviously is about as unblack as you can get. So I started writing around that. And then just playing about uh, with a keyboard, I just found the two, the two chords that went with those guitar chords. But the sound itself made me think that the, maybe I should take the song in a slightly different direction because the sound was... Uh, which is a very, very 60s, it's like Procol Harum or something like that. Very, very 60s sound. So then I basically had to, um, to write something that fit that feel. And I mean, that, that this is the first, first track on this particular album anywhere. I found the feel before I had any idea what I was going to write over the top. I decided to go for the something really, really white sounding influence wise, just to, uh, just to kind of offset that very, very uh, overused black rhythm. Lyrically, the track is an internal monologue of unsuccessful grief a broken relationship that the subject just can't seem to accept. The longing for that connection to spark again despite the accepted unlikelihood. incredibly smart. Incorporating all those different styles to create what the song became is perhaps the best documented testament to his craft. If the black rhythm, white acoustic guitars, 60s organ and incredible vocals weren't enough, there's also a Rolling Stone sample to close it all out. In April, George committed to another exceptional exercise of songwriting. It's about, I suppose, everything, any kind of war song that's, that's rational that talks about the futility of war, but more, more than that, it's about the way that women perceive their husbands and their sons and, and uh, their influence on their children, really.
While George is widely acknowledged for his lyrics and composition, not much is often said about his musicianship. On this album, he plays bass, keyboards, percussion, and acoustic guitar. Plenty of capable of musicians around him whose abilities he did employ on certain songs, but found it appropriate to leave enough of himself in, such as the case with the guitar solos on this. Kill the Pain was written with the style of the Beatles in mind, and in 2006, the track was fully realised when it was re-recorded as a duet with Paul McCartney. Segwaying from Heal the Pain, George returns to his more danceable material. After all of the acoustic guitar-driven tracks, Soul Free can almost be a bit jarring at first. It seems like an introduction to where he was heading with the impending Volume 2, a complete redirection of the general vibe taking a more danceable route. Closing off the album and the Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1 sessions, Waiting, considered a reprise version of Waiting for That Day, returns to a simple guitar-driven instrumental, rightfully putting George's vocal at centre stage. Lyrics are another introspective assessment of where he's been, where he's going, and who he wants to be. Now I know there's no way I can write those 
is art, you know, and, and as an adult, I still love making pop music. I don't, I don't want to be seen as someone who does anything more esoteric than that. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that audience goes away, you know, they just grow with you. Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1 was released on September 3rd, 1990. It would outsell faith in the United Kingdom, but would fail to receive any significant notoriety in the United States. George refused to promote the album, which included appearing in videos and television performances. This put a strain on the relationship with Sony in the US. George did tour, though. While not in direct promotion of the album, during the first leg of the Cover to Cover tour, he played the Rock in Rio festival where his life would change forever. The basis for me going to do Rock in Rio was I wanted to see Brazil. front of this 160,000 people, there was this guy over on the right-hand side of the stage that just fixed me with this look. And it was so cute. I was so distracted by him that I stayed away from that end of the stage for a while. Because otherwise I thought I was going to get really distracted and forget the words or something, you know? I looked at him, I got the feeling that told me I was going to know him very well and that he was going to be a part of my life. Anselmo was the first time I think I really loved someone selflessly. It was kind of immediate, everybody with the exception of my family, was introduced to him very, very quickly because I felt immediately that everything had changed. During the second leg of the tour, on the 23rd of March at Wembley Stadium, Elton John joined George on stage to perform a duet of Don't Let the Sun Go Down On Me. Recording would be released in October that year, which would become a huge success, reaching number one on various charts around the world and receiving a Grammy nomination. Proceeds from the single went to ten various charities. 
Volume 2 of Listen Without Prejudice was set to be very different from the first. Tracks like this one, Disco, would set a trend in the recording sessions as to the type of material that would be recorded. Interestingly, the lyrical content for most of the more danceable material could be just as easily as being applied to an acoustic track in the same style of Volume 1. In spite of the direction most of his productions were in at this time, George still continued with those ballads he mastered. Sweet thing. Do You Really Want to Know would later be released as B-sides to singles from the older album in 1997 and later reflect on these sessions, remarking that most of the material just wasn't as good as what he'd done previously. There are varying accounts of just how far the project went, with those around him remarking that these sessions were never seriously considered for a follow-up album. With that said, an article published in a 1992 edition of Billboard magazine reported that Volume 2 would contain seven new studio recordings and five live tracks, including Don't Let the Sun Go Down On Me. was configured or not, the sessions did give rise to at least one hit.
more in line with its usual quality, Too Funky became a smash. Upset with the lack of promotion that Sony Music in the US was investing in the first Listen Without Prejudice album, Michael arranged a meeting with its head, Tommy Mottola. Depending on which rumour you hear, the environment slightly changes. However, it's alleged that Tommy referred to George as a faggot, when he thought he was an in-earshot. The relationship dissipated, and Michael refused to record for Sony further. On the 24th of November 1991, Lead singer of Queen and an influence to George, Freddie Mercury passed away due to complications with AIDS. That December, Anselmo was advised to be tested for HIV. Thank you very much. This song is one of my favourites. It's called Somebody to Love. In April of that following year, the Freddie Mercury tribute concert was held at Wembley Stadium to an audience of 72,000 and a live television broadcast to an estimated one billion. I just wanted perfection, which is what I always want. Because I'm very, very guarded about performances that you don't have the option of mucking about with afterwards or whatever. The lineup included the likes of Metallica, Liza Minnelli, Elton John, and David Bowie, but it was George Michael who stood out. They had to take all those years of standing in a bedroom and sing to the mirror and sing all those Queen songs and know them backwards, know the harmonies, know everything about them. And that child was going to take all that knowledge, all that subconscious eating in of music from that group. So I went for five days to rehearse. Everyone else went for an afternoon. I went for five days because it had to be perfect. George's performances was released as their own standalone EP, along with Killer, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, and Calling You, recorded during the Cover to Cover tour. The single went to number one in the UK and sold five million copies, with all proceeds going to the Mercury Phoenix Trust a charity dedicated to raising awareness of AIDS. Selma was there and I was dying inside. I, I went into another place. I went into another place. This was the loudest prayer of my life. 
and it's not an accident that the performance probably most well known in my career was sung to my lover who was dying. that it happened that way, I mean, my God, talk about destiny, talk about destiny. Later that year, George contributed to Funky, Do You Really Want to Know, and Happy to the compilation album Red Hot and Dance, with all proceeds going to AIDS-related charities. If there was any indication that Listen Without Prejudice Volume 2 was no more, the release of these songs certainly solidified that. The same year, George committed to the idea of recording an album of duets with his inspirations and contemporaries, like Elton John, Seal, Janet Jackson, Sade, Stevie Wonder, and Wendy Melvoin. This project would receive the title Trojan Souls. According to various accounts, songs were being worked on as early as 1990, however most would remain instrumentals without any reported involvement with those they were intended for. The contract I've with Sony is for this album and for um, a couple of tracks for a duets album. The sessions did give rise to some songs that could be considered complete, such as Maybe It's Not Your Time and One Day I'll Know. The only collaborator that was known to work on a song is Wendy Melvoin, playing the electric guitar over George Michael's rhythm tracks. Ultimately, Trojan Souls would never be released. On the 30th of October, George Michael filed a lawsuit against Sony Music Entertainment. George claimed that due to his refusal to appear in any videos or any other significant promotion for Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1, Sony had failed to market the album appropriately. He wanted out of the contract he had signed in 1982, in spite of the fact it had been renegotiated several times since then. In March of that following year, Anselmo passed away due to an AIDS-related brain hemorrhage. He was 37. The court case was ruled in favour of Sony in 1994. They would later sell Michael's contract to DreamWorks Records. In November of that year, George appears at the MTV Europe Music Awards, where he performs his discreet tribute to Anselmo. 
I sat at a keyboard in Psalm Studios in Notting Hill, played a very simple string part, added a very, very gentle uh, guitar part. And my way of making music is very strange. I sing and it's all total stream of consciousness rubbish and then I sang like Jesus to a child. Kindness in your eyes I guess You heard me cry You smiled at me Like Jesus to a child When you've been loved When you know that holds such bliss then the love that you miss come to you when there's no hope inside. Simple as that. And I thought, oh my God, that's him. That's him and me, like Jesus to a child. And within probably a day, the track was almost finished which is really unusual for me. And within a week, I was singing it in front of the Brandenburg Gate. Sadness in my eyes No one guessed No one tried You smiled at me Like Jesus to a child So the words you could not say I'll sing them for you And the love we would have made I'll make it for two For every single memory Has become a part of me You will always be My love I was so excited, I was writing again And not only that, but I had written probably the most personal song I'd ever written in the space of a day, a day and a half. Well, I've been loved, so I know just what love is. And the love that I kissed is always by my side. For anyone watching Jesus to a Child, I was coming out. Anyone who had a clue about any kind of symbolism, I was coming out. Oh, the love I still miss Was Jesus to a child Jesus to a Child would be released as a single more than a year later, and hit number one on charts around the world. 
George Michael was back, he immediately began working on the 1996 album, Older. six months to write. Backwards and forwards between studios with my co-producer on that particular track. I was very stoned. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend it wasn't true. I was very stoned. Having been more actively engaged in what would still be regarded as the stereotypical gay lifestyle, George would write about themes even more personal than that on the last album. Fast Love is about cruising, something that he would become rather renowned for a couple of years later. Its production is immaculate. It's the dance music that, while softer than what came out of Listen Without Prejudice Volume 2 Sessions, was the artistic and commercial achievement he was striving for. Fast Love makes me laugh because clearly once you realise who it's written by, it's all about cruising. You know, blunting out that pain with fast love. Simple as that. Funny word for love maybe, but that's what it's about, you know. Did I mention the bass line? Anyone can write a song about casual hookups, but no one can make it so sensual, so seductive, and so classy. Returning his vocal to centre stage with a synthesised orchestral backing, the album's title track, Older, is about an evolving maturity of one's relationship. feel and I'm 34 oh not for my god I'm adding years now I'm 33 years old I will never put out an album that is uh, made for other people's tastes because the moment I do that I will, uh, is, is the moment I start writing shit 
Like many of the songs featured on Older, production was relatively straightforward, although there were a few minor changes from the earlier vocal comp. One of the earliest songs worked on was Spinning the Wheel, a track about one promiscuous partner putting the other in danger of contracting HIV. Michael's best storytelling, even still out of context given that George was still in the closet. It's perhaps the most direct clue on the album as to who he really was. That's not to suggest that the story he told is directly from his life, but it was an indicator of the kind of topics he was thinking about. known by its working title as Moody. Even at its inception, the narrative was clearly established. Interestingly, some different lines were included in the single's forthright remix.
this next song is taken from the album Older. It's called It Doesn't Really Matter. <laughs> It Doesn't Really Matter is a fan favourite. The lyrics again tell a specific story of resignation and reflection. It doesn't matter that I fail to break down your father's wall. But maintain enough ambiguity to allow the listener to invest their own experiences and emotions into it. It's basically lyrically about fighting your way through a relationship and basically realising that you cannot overcome what someone's parents have left on their soul. The instrumental, completely performed by George, is incredibly basic. Although the piano is so quiet in the mix, it makes it interesting, even enough with its few chords. Providing a more danceable rhythm since fast love, the strangest thing is about escapism. Being trapped in a state of mind for so long, yearning to be thrusted out of it by anyone. Take my life. Time has been Previous, all instruments are played by George. It's one of two songs that would receive a remix in 1997, taking it from an overly layered ambient jazz pop groove to a more R&B house flavoured club track. To be forgiven could be interpreted to be about what would be regarded in today's world as triggers. drive is in the vocal melody. At this point in the album, the song serves as a wind-down of the intensity thus far. Georgian guitarist Danny Jacobs built the instrumental in a short session with the two exchanging ideas on their chosen instruments.
enhancing the jazz feel embedded throughout comes Move On, providing probably the most direct message on the album. This time it's about, well, moving on. Often albums about depression and tough times miss the resolution that this song provides. I just ploughed on after faith and tried to get to my next album, met and loved and lost and Selmo. Who knows if I would have got to Jesus to a Child, First Love, Spinning the Wheel. Who knows if I would have got to those things. I don't think I would have. If I believe in my destiny in any way, I believe I was destined to feel that particular pain so that I could do the ultimate with my music in terms of healing. Another big hit was Star People. Returning to what was touched on in Praying for Time, an enhanced frustration with the lack of charity and false humility within show business among its capitalist inhibitors. It also touches on the more delicate and desperate personality. The Strangest Thing, it was also remixed that following year, taking it from its soulful R&B origin to its funkier instrumental with a slightly more aggressive vocal. Then there's the MOV version, often incorrectly referred to online as the original demo. Exclusively released through one of George's fan sites in the late 90s, it maintains the funk of the 97 mix, while adding bigger reverbs on the new drums. The last song in the album, You Have Been Loved, is a George Michael classic. The lyrics depict a mother visiting the grave of her son while asking the most common question in grief, why? There's not one track on that, that album that is not about Anselmo, about the actual grieving, which was the song that I wrote with my friend David Austin, You Have Been Loved, which is my favourite on the album. 
probably a circumstantial re-articulation of what George was going through after the loss of Anselmo. If Jesus to a child was the perfect way to introduce his tribute on older, then this was the perfect way to end it. She takes the back road and the lane Past the school that has not changed In all this time She thinks of when the boy was young All the battles she had won Just to give him life That meant she loved that man A Catholic woman losing her gay son to this awful, awful, awful disease and her unabated love of her religion. It doesn't shake her religion. It shook my spirituality to lose a partner. For what's the use in pressing pause when children fade in mother's arms? It's a cruel world with so much to lose. Take care. My love, she said Don't think that God is dead Take care, my love, she said You have been loved And the number of people who come up to me and say Oh, you don't know how much you helped me with older when I lost this person or when I lost that person. And that's, to me, that's the ultimate. On the 8th and 11th of October, George hosted two concerts predominantly featuring songs from his most recent older album. One of the concerts was filmed as part of MTV's Unplugged, possibly the most significant document of George's vocal ability. Take care, my love, he said. George Michael in 1988 was at his commercial peak, a level of pressure that led him to reevaluate what he wanted from his own craft, which inspired his artistic development with Listen Without Prejudice. An album which, after all of these years, seemed to resonate with its listeners more. The projects in between, well, Perhaps George was too busy enjoying his life and love to give his music the focus it needed. One can only project so much passion onto multiple outputs. And then we get to Older, one of the finest albums ever released about bereavement and depression. As a vocalist, 
As a musician and as a writer, he was undoubtedly at his best. The album was unlike what most were recording at the time. With the jazz, soul and funk infusions, perhaps if it was released by a black artist, it would have been regarded as part of the neo-soul movement at the time. Yes, there were some years lost at this artistic peak. But what the world did get solidifies George's natural ability as one of the greatest pop artists the world has ever seen. Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.